What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 4, An American Tragedy. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, international man of misery in a in fine fettle. This evening, as I record, I'm recording in the evening. Somewhat unusual for me, but um, you know, I have plans tomorrow, and I don't want to. I don't want to screw it up. I want to make sure I get this episode out on time. Uh, but in fine fettle, because uh, it's evening time. I've got myself my traditional cup of tea, but to go with it, I've got uh, two McVitie's digestive biscuits. The digestive biscuit. A new addition to my diet, something that I discovered in London town. I've heard, long heard about digestives, but never really had the opportunity to sample them. Oh, they're just terrific. You know, they're like a, they're, they're kind of exactly what you think they're going to be like. You know, they're like the cookie equivalent of Melba toast. And you take them and you dip them in a spot of tea and you, and you take a bite and boy, that's just a satisfying way to drink some dirt water. Terrific. I wrote a whole blog post about it today. That's how excited I am about them. Because, you, you know, they're not easy to find here in the States, certainly not at the Kroger in Savannah. We call it the Crack Kroger in my neighborhood because it, you know, it's like a grocery store, but it's also kind of like a crack house. And they don't, they don't have digestive cookies there. So I had to order them special from Amazon. They charge you through the nose. But I felt like it was worth it. I got a three-pack of McVitie's digestives, and uh, I'm just going to enjoy my tea with them. Once the tea cools down a little bit, I'm just excited. I mentioned my plans for tomorrow, similar to my plans yesterday. So it's Labor Day weekend here in Sultry Savannah. I've just returned from Denver, Colorado, where the state performed a reunion show. We're going to be doing several more shows, some in New York, Boston, L.A., San Francisco, maybe more to come. The, uh, the Boston dates and after are not yet officially announced, 
but probably by the time this airs, they will be. So I'm not breaking any news here, but I hope to see you if you happen to live in one of those areas. And as I said, probably more cities will fall in here and there as the year progresses, uh, and I guess as the year ends. But uh, So I got back from Denver, and uh, I was excited because I had a little disposable income that I earned by playing online poker, and then I wanted to take that online poker money and take it down to Jacksonville to play live poker. So I did that yesterday, played until like, oh, I don't know, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, then I had to drive two hours home, didn't get to sleep till nearly dawn, and then when I woke up this morning and I was tired and, and, and I thought to myself, you know what, tomorrow's Labor Day. Maybe I'll go back down to Jacksonville and play some more poker. Now, I can do that because Martha isn't here to yell at me. She's still in, in London town. So there's not much she can do about it. You know, she's like, well, don't lose the money. I'm like, but this is money I conjured out of thin air by playing online poker. It's money that didn't exist two seconds ago. And so I'm willing to wager non-existent money, you know, why not? So I, might, I, I won last uh, yesterday. I might go back down to Jacksonville tomorrow. But if I'm going to do that, you know, I got to get this podcast recorded. Because that's what it's all about. You know, it's all about wagering, you know, wagering big sums, winning big sums, losing big sums, the swings of life, the vicissitudes that we all experience. And, and, and Clyde Griffith's no different. Now, Clyde Griffith's currently in his, uh, let's say, first half Boogie Nights phase. Remember, I mean, the first half, I mean, like the first three quarters of Boogie Nights is just about Dirk Diggler's rise to the top. And I remember the first time I saw the movie, I was like, I just want to, I just want to see him keep winning. I just want to see him keep making porno movies and winning awards and, you know, uh, singing pop songs and, and doing all that stuff. I mean, I knew it was going to turn bad as it's going to turn bad for Clyde Griffiths. We know that, but I want to extend the winning session as long as possible. Maybe it's just the poker player in me. You know, you get on a hot streak, you want to see it go. You want to see it go, baby, go. There's a movie, uh, a California Suite, that's like that. Wait, uh, who wrote California? It's a famous movie. It's got Elliot Gould and uh, who else? I'm just looking it up because I don't want to butcher it. California Suite, 1978 film. Oh, no, that's not what I'm thinking. That's not what I'm thinking at all. California Suite's a different one. Wait, what's the one I'm thinking of? Gambling movie. Gambling movie. Elliot Gould. What's that called? Come on, research machine. You should have anticipated the California split. Excuse me, George Siegel and Elliot Gould. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Robert Altman film. And it's just terrific. These guys, they just start... They just, they, they just win. They're just on a hot streak. And then that's it. It's the never-ending hot streak. It's the greatest movie ever made. It's fabulous, you know? Because all these other movies, you think, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're just waiting, you know? Oh, he puts it all on red, and he doubles up, and then he does it again. He's like, oh, no, don't do it, buddy. Don't do it, because you know he's going to lose it. But then he doubles up again, and then he does it again. And you know he's going to lose it. But in California Split, I think they don't lose it. They take their winnings, and they, and they, they go. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, but anyway, so that's where we are with Clyde Griffiths, you know, we're just waiting for the shoe to drop. I mean, things have just started, started going good for him and presumably they will uh, continue to go good for a little while, but I guess we can't find out unless we read chapter eight in American Tragedy. So Clyde's just, you know, finished his first couple of days at work. He's making money. 
The thing that most interested Clyde at first was how, if at all, he was to keep the major portion of all this money he was making for himself. Forever, since he had been working and earning money, it had been assumed that he would contribute a fair portion of all that he received, at least three-fourths of the smaller salaries he had received up to this time, toward the upkeep of the home. But now, if he announced that he was receiving at least $25 a week and more, and this entirely apart from the salary of 15 a month and board, his parents would assuredly expect him to pay 10 or 12 But so long had he been haunted by the desire to make himself as attractive-looking as any other well-dressed boy that, now that he had the opportunity, he could not resist the temptation to equip himself first and as speedily as possible. Accordingly, he decided to say to his mother that all of the tips he received aggregated no more than a dollar a day. Well, that's just a, that's just a big old fib, isn't it, kid? You know, you're way underestimating how much you make by orders of five or six. And in order to give himself greater freedom of action in the matter of disposing of his spare time, he announced that frequently, in addition to the long hours demanded of him every other day, he was expected to take the place of other boys who were sick or set to doing other things. And also, he explained that the management demanded of all boys that they look well outside as well as inside the hotel. He could no long... Oh, he could not long be seen coming to the hotel in the clothes that he now wore. Mr. Squires, he said, had hinted as much. But as if to soften the blow, one of the boys at the hotel had told him of a place where he could procure quite all the things that he needed on time, meaning on layaway. Um, And of course, uh, you know, that's not true. None of that's true. I mean, he's making money, but Squires didn't say yet to come in. Well, maybe he does, you know, occasionally get the call. Hey, Wilson's going to be out. He's got this. He's got the COVID. Can you come in and and cover for him? And, you know, Clyde would be happy to do it. But Mr. Squires certainly didn't say you need to spend money on clothing. And there's no haberdasher. Remember, that's a word he learned last episode where he's going to pay for things on time. He's going to be walking into that haberdashery and paying full freight. If I know Clyde Griffiths and he'll do it with a smile on his face. Because it shows he's a man of means, a man of distinction, to be able to peel off $1 bills from a roll and buy himself a pair of garters, Boston garters at that. So that's what's going on with Clyde. It's exciting, you know, but, but you know, money, money uh, can lead boys astray. And already he's lying to his parents about how much he's making. And so unsophisticated was his mother in these matters that she believed him. But that was not all. He was now daily in contact with a type of youth who, because of his larger experience with the world and with the luxuries and vices of such a life as this, had already been inducted into certain forms of libertinism and vice, even which up to this time were entirely foreign to Clyde's knowledge and set him agape with wonder and at first with even a timorous distaste. Yeah, at first, until you, the, 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 the fruit on the forbidden tree, that's going to fill you with the timorous distaste. Don't take, don't, don't take a bite of that fruit, Clyde. And at first, Clyde's like, yeah, no problem, bro. Why, why do I need to? I got so many other fruits to bite, you know? 
I got the haberdasher. I got uh, I got all the boys to learn from. I got the saloon to ga- to gawp at. I got all kinds of things to keep my attention. But there is Hegland pointing out the forbidden fruit and saying, Clyde, you got to take a bite. It's the juiciest thing you ever had. And we know Clyde will eventually succumb. Thus, as Hegland had pointed out, a certain percentage of this group, of which Clyde was now one, made common cause in connection with quite regular adventures, which usually followed their monthly pay night. These adventures, according to their moods and their cash at the time, led them usually either to one of two rather famous and not too respectable all-night restaurants. So they're going to Denny's, and that's trouble. You know, if you've ever been to Denny's late at night, you know the eggs are warmed over, the toast is stale, and the waitstaff surly. You look at them the wrong way, they'll cut you. Last night I was excited. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning. I was heading back from poker, and, you know, I have an electric car. I had to stop to charge it. Had about 20 minutes to kill, 25 minutes to kill. Hadn't eaten all day. Pitch black outside. I know this particular charging area, so I knew that if I just walked across the road and across the train tracks there, on the other side, I had two options for food, all-night food. There's a gas station there that has that's open all night, you know, and they've got a, a nice little convenience store in there. Or, and this is what got me excited, right next to the gas station, fogged up windows and all, was a Waffle House. And I thought, oh, man, I got 25 minutes to kill. I'm going to get myself a plate of eggs and a plate of bacon and some toast and uh, sit down right there at the counter 4 o'clock in the morning and have myself some Waffle House. You know, I've been living in the South now for, what, close to three years, minus, you know, my time abroad, haven't once been to the Waffle House. I've been to Waffle Houses before, but not since I moved down here. So, you know, I was feeling flush, had four or five bucks in my pocket, thought to myself, man, oh man, this is going to be some delicious scrub. Walked in, First thing the lady said to me, sorry, the grill's down. Won't be up for another 20 minutes. Man, was I disappointed. The grill's down. Whoever walked into a Waffle House and had that, can't, you can't do nothing with it with, without a grill at a Waffle House. That's where they make everything. So I went to the gas station, got myself a little charcuterie plate. Now, if you've ever had gas station charcuterie, you know that's a treat. It was uh, some salami and some cheese and some chocolate-covered uh, cranberries and a, and a bottle of water. And for a four o'clock in the morning snack, honestly, not bad at all. So they go to these two rather famous and not too respectable all night restaurants in groups. As he gathered by degrees from hearing them talk, they were pleased to indulge in occasional late showy suppers with drinks, after which they were wont to go to either some flashy dance hall of the downtown section to pick up a girl, or that failing as a source of group interest to visit some notorious, or as they would have deemed it reputed, brothel, very frequently camouflaged as a boarding house, where for much less than the amount of cash in their possession, they could, as they often boasted, have any girl in the house. And here, of course, because of their known youth, ignorance, liberality, and uniform geniality and good looks, they were made much of, as a rule, being made most welcome by the various madams and girls of these places who sought, for commercial reasons of course, to interest them to come again. So, that really is, I mean, that's the forbidden fruit. That's what we were kind of getting at, right? That's where this was all heading towards. Sorry, I'm just moving my uh, my stuff around so that I can 
dunk my digestive in some tea. I mean, it's just been sitting here growing cold. Mm-mm-mm. Now that's a digestive. So Clyde going to end up at a brothel. And uh, man, I hope he doesn't find Hester, also known as Esta, there. Too ashamed to come home, being sold into servitude. Remember, she's run off with James Franco. We don't know what's going on with her. Now it just occurs to me, as I'm reading this, American Tragedy, the classic work by Theodore Dreiser, that already we've got uh, teenagers, or one teenager anyway, engaged, or about to engage, certainly within the next 50 pages or so, on some coarse sexual activity. Well, that's enough to get a book banned in certain states in this nation of ours. I mean, maybe they won't ban it because it's, you know, the heteronormative kind of sexuality that we're talking about, but... You know, that's exactly the sort of thing that'll get you banned in certain school libraries. Wrote a piece about that this week, too. Iowa. They're taking the books out of the school libraries in Iowa if they talk about sex at all. You know, it's terrible. I mean, sex. Sex is terrible. And so, well, I guess I'll take a break before I start the next uh, paragraph there. Take a little break. I'll sip some tea, have some digestive crackers. Back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, where I'm still dunking my digestives, trying to make them last, you know, because don't want to eat too much late at night after you've had a fine meal. I'm going to call this a light post-dinner snack. But Clyde's up, you know, getting up to no good, and let's continue on that in that vein. And so starved had been Clyde's life up to this time, and so eager was he for almost any form of pleasure that from the first he listened with all too eager ears. I already lost my place. He listened with all too eager ears to any account of anything that spelled adventure or pleasure. Not that he approved of these types of places, 
Not that he approved of these types of adventures, excuse me. As a matter of fact, at first it offended and depressed him, seeing as he did that it ran counter to all he had heard and been told to believe these many years. Nevertheless, so sharp a change and relief from the dreary and repressed work in which he had been brought up was it, that he could not help thinking of all this within itch for the variety and color it seemed to suggest. He listened sympathetically and eagerly, even while at times he was mentally disapproving of what he heard. And seeing him so sympathetic and genial, first one and then another of these youths made overtures to get him to go here, there, or the other place, to a show, a restaurant, one of their homes, where a card game might be indulged in by two or three of them, or even to one of the shameless houses, contact with which Clyde at first resolutely refused. But by degrees becoming familiar with Hegland and Ratterer, both of whom he liked very much, and being invited by them to a joy-night supper, a blowout, as they termed it, at Frizzell's, he decided to go. Well, this could be it, guys. He's going he's gonna to take a bite of that forbidden fruit. He's been sniffing around it, hasn't he? Savoring its bouquet, admiring its colors, the tenderness of its flesh and it looks as though he may be poised to take a bite and chew. And I hope he does. I want him to get into mischief. I want him to get into trouble, cause mayhem, experience chaos. I want him to fall and rise again. I want everything that can happen to Clyde to happen. I'm interested in this kid and his well-being. And frankly, as far as I'm concerned, he needs a little living. Now, look, I'm no fan of uh, the sexual trade myself. I've never been to, nor do I think I could ever go to a brothel. Uh, It's just not my scene, kid. But when we're talking about Clyde Griffiths here in fictional Kansas City, you know, in the first quarter of the last century, by God, I want him to go in and get himself laid. And you're a fool if you think otherwise. There's going to be another one of our monthly blowouts tomorrow night, Clyde, around at Frizzell's, Radderer had said to him. Don't you want to come along? You haven't been yet. By this time, Clyde, having acclimated himself to this caloric atmosphere, was by no means as dubious as he was at first. For by now, in imitation of Doyle, whom he had studied Most carefully and to great advantage, he had outfitted himself with a new brown suit, cap, overcoat, socks, stickpin, and shoes as near like those of his mentor as possible. And the costume became him well, excellently well, so much so that he was far more attractive than he had ever been in his life. And now, not only his parents, but his younger brother and sister were not a little astonished and even amazed by the change. Sure, you live with a kid your whole life. Suddenly he turns around, he gets a couple of nickels together, buys himself a fine suit and a stick pen, comes waddling through the door looking like James Cagney. Wowee, is that our Clyde? Say, Clyde, where you been? You been down to the haberdashers? Indeed I have, sis. Got myself a bowler hat and a stick pen. Don't tell me you forgot the garters. Boston garters, sis. How could I forget them?
You know, he's making a new man out of himself. It's exciting times for Clyde Griffiths. And as he's parading around, you know, toddling around the town in his finery, probably going to catch the eye of a gal or two. Probably feeling himself, you know, looking to sow some oats. Polishing up his two-tone shoes, probably going to head out to the brothel. Let's see what happens. How could Clyde have come by all this grandeur so speedily? How much could all this that he wore now have cost? Was he not hypothecating more of his future earnings for this temporary grandeur than was really wise? He might need it in the future. The other children needed things too, and was the moral and spiritual atmosphere of a place that made him work such long hours and kept him out so late every day and for so little pay, just the place to work, to all of which he had replied rather artfully for him that it was all for the best. He was not working too hard. His clothes were not too fine by any means. His mother should see some of the other boys. He was not spending too much money. And anyhow, he had a long while in which to pay for all he had bought. Yes, Clyde, you will be paying for all you are purchasing right now. I've got 650 pages ahead of me that proves it. You will be paying dearly, boy. But now, as to this supper, that was a different matter even to him. How he asked himself, in case the thing lasted until very late as was expected, could he explain to his mother and father his remaining out so very late? Radder had said it might last until three or four anyhow, although he might go, of course, any time, but how would that look? deserting the crowd. And yet, hang it all, most of them did not live at home as he did, or if they did, like Ratterer, they had parents who didn't mind what they did. Still, a late supper like that, was it wise? All these boys drank and thought nothing of it. Hegland, Ratterer, Kinsella, Sheel. It must be silly for him to think that there was so much danger in drinking a little, as they did on these occasions. On the other hand, it was true that he need not drink unless he wanted to. He could go, and if anything was said at home, he would say that he had to work late. What difference did it make if he stayed out late once in a while? Wasn't he a man now? Wasn't he making more money than anyone else in the family? And couldn't he begin to do as he pleased? He began to sense the delight of personal freedom, to sniff the air of personal and delicious romance and he was not to be held back by any suggestion which his mother could now make. End of chapter 8. Well, we're ending a little short today, I'm afraid. But, you know, look, when we end on chapters, we end on chapters, and we just, we can't go diving into new chapters willy-nilly. Not going to just pick up chapter 9 just because we've got a few minutes left here in the episode. No, we'll end early, and that will be that, I'm afraid. But we sort of see the outlines, don't we, of this life taking shape, the good boy, the pious boy, wrestling with the more rebellious youth, the one who wants to get out, get out and see the world. I mean, this is America. This is, Clyde Griffiths is America. Is he not? Born of piety, but longing for something else, something more materialistic, something sensual, something 
of this land in which he finds himself, where there is so much abundance for some and so little for others. He wants to taste that abundance. He wants to get out into those streets and see what they have to offer a young man like himself, a young man in possession of a new stick pen and and tie and two-tone shoes and a brown suit. Denny's stays open all night, Clyde. You can get the moon over my hammy 24 hours a day, if that is what you so desire. And afterwards, you pop a little blue pill. You head over to that special boarding house just across the tracks where you can have any girl in the house. My God, how exciting. What tremulous times we live in. It's boogie nights, baby. It's all it is. It's the American dream. It's boogie nights. You know, when we said we're going to be reading uh, an American novel, this, of course, our second American novel, but I did not know, even though it's right there in the title, I did not know it would be quite so American. I mean, what are we, what are we recounting here if not the story of America? And this tragedy, this American tragedy, may speak to more of us than just the peculiar and particular members of this Griffiths family. I suspect Dreiser is seeking to indict us all. And if so, I am happy to be indicted because I'm enjoying this book and uh, I'm enjoying reading it with all of you. So we'll pick it up next time. Closing the book now. We'll have a whole new chapter to begin. We'll see what his night is like as he heads out into the fog. See what Kansas City gives back to him in exchange for a couple of bucks. Probably a lot. Probably more than he bargained for. But we'll find out next time on another inquisitive episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and the great Robin Lynn. Our theme song is by Craig Wedren. We rely on you, the listeners, for support. So please, go to patreon.com slash Black. Sign up. There's all kinds of fun stuff. There's goodies. You could join the book club where we get together. We talk about the book that we're reading uh and it's just a fun community so you know head on over to patreon.com slash michael ian black and i will see you next time